Your challenge, if you choose to accept it, is this. Let's go! Let's go! Show up on day one, work out with us for 30 minutes, feel good right away. Yo! Repeat five days a week for three weeks. Three weeks? Five workouts a week. We're body, and we call that a body block. You pick the block, and you're going to love the experience. On week four, this part is really important. Take the week off. Seriously, we mean it. Rest. Go on vacation. Or try something new. Maybe some yoga. Notice you're not holding on to any tension here. Or a dance class. Get sexy with it, daddy. You do you. And then start again. Be committed to this process. Choose a new body block each month. Get a new challenge each month. Have fun every day. Avoid burnout. You're not going to quit on yourself today. This is how you reach your goals. You win? There is nothing that we can't do if we work together. Sign up for your first body block today. Visit body.com for a free trial. That's B-O-D-I.com. Are you ready to get started? 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits. Take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. And then he'll throw a 93-mile-an-hour fastball down the pipe, and Miguel Sano will hit it 450 feet. I think you're going to see Desmond Jones straight for opening deck, and that's helped provide. Baltimore's 0 and 9. 0 and 9, yeah. Hey, there's two ties in there, guys, because baseball ties are a real thing. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars Episode 2, your Orange League podcast, because who likes grapefruit? Tonight, I am joined by both Joshua Housem. Hello, Josh. Hello. And the incredible Chris Sherwin. Hello, Chris. Hello, Greg. Um, so I don't get an adjective? Thanks. Not this week. I, I have to look <laughs> up adjectives in the thesaurus for you because I've used all the regular ones. Um, didn't have time. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this week we're going to talk about the return of Joey Bats and the delayed return of Marco Estrada. We have some uh, an update on Connor Green, some nice words about Aaron Sanchez. Today, as we are recording, this is actually a very dark anniversary in recent Blue Jays history. We'll get into that. Uh, talk about uh, just the basic spring training update because who doesn't want to know how many times we've won spring training games um, RJ Anderson drops by to talk about the Rays we have our usual raft of listener questions and Goose Gossage lost his mind again and we're going to talk about him because uh, that was pretty entertaining actually so let's rewind all the way back to the top uh, Jose Bautista back in a game um Josh, you're in Florida. Tell me, are you excited about Joey Bats being back in games? Or is it not even quite exciting at this point? Well, I mean, when you're down here, you always want to see the stars play. So it's exciting on that level. Um, but, you know, that's the only part of the being in Florida aspect. But just in general, it's it's nice to know that he's in there, that, you know, that's like, hey, we get to watch this guy play and see how healthy he is. And, everything. and not that he was hurt, but, you know, still, it's always happy to see guys on the field. So there's no 
it's not a lie if we know the truth stuff and a guy's been injured the whole time. <laughs> that line will never die. How can it die? It's the greatest quote in sports history. Because it's the definition of a lie is when you say something that you know is not the truth. <laughs> Oh yeah, I we got him on that technicality, but he never he never really uh, fessed up to that. Um, now, also, we've heard through the usual third party John Heyman tweet that Joey Bats is willing to negotiate. It didn't seem like he was really left any gray area when he made the initial statement when they asked him on day one. Did they? Like, did you hear any gray, Chris? I heard no gray. I'm pretty sure I heard the words, there's no negotiation. Like that might have been a direct quote. <laughs> I believe it was. So except for yeah, the it's part... Yeah, like, it's like, you know, I don't want to talk about a few dollars here, dollars there. It's like, you know, I have my number and I don't want to negotiate. So what is it with Heyman's tweet? Is he just making stuff up? So he has something to say, or is there is there actually some sort of weird background politics that goes on with all this stuff and then gets aired out between reporters? Well, it's kind of hard to say because Bautista was reached for comment after, and he said, "I'm not talking contract," <laughs> like, which is he specifically said like that. There's nothing has changed essentially, so who knows where Heyman got it from? But he had to report it because it's an unsubstantiated rumor from a source. <laughs> Where would we be without those this spring? According Pardon to me. my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> According to something in my tea leaves, Joey Bats is willing to negotiate. Uh, so we don't have much on that. We do have something more definite on Marco Estrada. What's the exact yeah, word uh, there? Well, yeah, more definite. I Somewhat more definite. Basically, the hope now is that he's going to get into a game next week and then he'll be ready for spring training, but... Gibbons sort of covered that and said, said that like what you said he'd be ready for spring training I think you mean opening day oh well, <laughs> well hopefully he's ready for spring training I don't actually know if that's true yet but uh even if he's not the Jays don't need a, a fifth starter until I think it's April 16th so there there's no risk as at least the way Gibbons tells it now of him going on the DL or missing time it's just that he might not start in the first couple times through the rotation Interesting. So just when Gavin Floyd was getting his hopes up, he he got crushed by the schedule, possibly. <laughs> well, I think they'll use five starters if five people are healthy. But they don't it's just, have if, if Estrada can't go, they'll go Stroman, Dickie Hap, and then whoever is the last starter, and then Stroman again. Right. Fair enough. Uh, are you still out there, Chris? I'm here. Now, I uh, I understand you had what what we will qualify as breaking news, though by the time people can hear this, it won't exactly be breaking news. Connor Green. No. I'm waiting for the... I'm waiting for our breaking news sound. The worst breaking news sound ever. Just us making random noises. I already forget the breaking news. What was he was optioned where? <laughs> Somewhere. Oh God. We bring Chris Connor on Green. For... <laughs> John, take it. Was reassigned to minor league camp. Whew. He has not been optioned anywhere yet. <laughs> He's not on the 40 man. He can't be optioned. So they're not letting him hang out with the big boys anymore. 
Which is interesting timing because he pitched yesterday, again, recording this Thursday, and he looked really good, and everyone was talking about how he's turning heads at camp, throwing 98 miles an hour. But that's actually why he was sent to the minor league camp, so that he can't get hurt and then go on the major league DL. They're like, no, 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 protect this guy, get him away from the team. Hmm. That's an interesting strategy or note on strategy that we don't, uh, I don't think we think about that, that, you know, things like service time accrue when you're on the DL and you don't necessarily want, uh, want that to happen, uh, ever. You don't want the guy to get hurt in the first place, but it's even worse when you're paying him major league money and accumulating major league service time. So goodbye, well, Connor no Green. Bun- we'll see no you again bunting soon. Drills. No bunting drills with Josh Donaldson. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> Well, he can do them on the minor league camp. He can go get her over there. <laughs> fine. It's fine. No, it's, it's not so nice on this we, podcast. We are not going to wish anything ill of Connor Green because he is the bright light on the horizon. Uh, one of a few, I guess. Um, we have some nice words about Aaron Sanchez. Would you like to hear nice words? Yeah. It's from his, his own coach, so I don't suppose that they have to be. I wasn't expecting to hear nasty words, but uh, on Tim and Sid today, uh, Pat Henkin made a guest appearance, and he got asked this question. The roster has the potential to have Cy Young stuff. That's a good question. I think that Sanchez probably is the first one that comes to mind. He's got the big power arm. He's got the good movement. Uh, his curveball was really good yesterday. So I think that uh, if Sanchez is given the opportunity as a starting pitcher, we'll see how it goes. I don't know what they're going to do, but right now it looks like he's – He's, uh, you know, he's definitely got a really high ceiling. I mean, let's face it. I mean, the guy throws mid to high 90s. He's got movement. I mean, his movement's like Scott Erickson. I know that I'm kind of showing my age here, but. Yes, Pat, you're showing your age when your comp is Scott Erickson. <laughs> that's, that's a long time ago. But um, the first name that sprang to mind as, as a Cy Young potential was not Marcus Stroman. Do you think, do you think that's now, you know, fuel for Stroman? Or do you think that's a more realistic... <laughs> more realistic take chris well he's his best friend so i don't think he's any kind of fuel but i mean i I think if you're talking to me and josh you know you got two guys here who who seem to be like the only people who who still want to see sanchez as starters (laughs) in jay's land everyone is just like nuts about him being a reliever and i mean hearing this stuff only gets me more excited about sanchez as a starter and I was actually I, I saw that game that they were talking about where he, where he, where he had referenced his stuff and his curveball. He looked awesome in his outing against the Twins. He pitched three innings. The first two innings, he was throwing 98, 97, painting low and away, low and in, and actually hitting the corners he was trying to throw to. As opposed to like last year in the bigs, he'd paint the outside corner, but the catcher was set up inside. <laughs> and you know he had the hammer curveball, but he also sort of faded when he got to the third inning. So. It would be really interesting to see how what happens as his innings build up this spring because he finally is actually burying his curveball, which he wasn't doing last year. So if he can do that and keep his stuff up, it, he should absolutely start. Who was catching for him in that game, Josh? Martin. So there's two two things there, one of which is, of course, the best shape of his life story that we've heard a couple times that he specifically aimed to gain weight in order to, in theory, build stamina. Um, the second one is that he's been training at Duke with Marcus Stroman. And I don't know if you guys read the article on Stroman and his rehab, but part of his rehab and the device that, that he wears that looks like a sports bra, but it's not a sports bra, um, that has all the sensors in it, part of what they did 
bringing Strowman back was to refine his delivery as he rehabbed. Figure out, figure well, if, you, if you've got to go and rehab anyway and build up the muscle strength and everything else, you might as well reconstruct the delivery in a in a mechanically a more mechanically sound way. Now, do I believe that they know exactly what a mechanically sound delivery works like uh, looks like? No, because guys keep blowing out arms despite the fact that we we think we know. However, training at the same facility makes me guess that Sanchez was put through at least part of that process, trying to refine the mechanics. And of course, his poor control, I would assume, is a result of poorly repeated mechanics, right? That's usually where the poor control comes from. Yeah, actually, Keith Law has talked a lot about this, how Sanchez and his short stride and what the Jays did there and how it was going to potentially injure him or his command. His stride actually looked longer two days ago. He was really getting down the mound. So maybe that was something that they worked on. I just, I, because it, they had such good results with Stroman, I think the Blue Jays have kind of given the people at Duke pretty much open reign to do, you know, whatever the pitcher is comfortable with when, when someone goes out there and, and, and works with them. Um, and that leads to that high performance department that we talked about a bit last week that uh, Arden Zwelling had an excellent article on today. I'm big on all these things. Um, we've talked about Stroman. We've talked about Sanchez. Let's go and talk about the, the dark anniversary that I referred to, which is it has been exactly one year, Josh, since... <laughs> since Marcus Stroman was out for the season with a torn <laughs> knee. The, the, the greatest gut punch in recent memory... Uh, I think for me, uh, where were you, Chris, when that <laughs> when that news I, uh, came down? I was at work, and I remember my phone absolutely <laughs> blowing up. And and I mean, like the last time that it had blown up that much was the night that Donaldson was traded to the mm. Jays. So I I just I just see like Stroman Strom like like you know subject line Stroman Stroman Stroman, and i like my gut just like fell i i knew i knew immediately it's like okay well they're either signed him to an extension or he blew out his elbow so i was somewhat <laughs> relieved <laughs> when i found that, that it was his knee because i assumed an arm injury um but still like how devastating was that beginning of last year you know we didn't have a whole lot of i recall i think two of us thought that they were going to make the playoffs as the wild card but I don't know. At the time, I wasn't that I wasn't that high yet, and this was just it was draining. And you're... I was actually down here in Dunedin last year when it happened, and it was crazy. The news started filtering through the stands, and it was just silent and depressed. Like they, they, you know, the game was going, and people were excited, and then nothing. Like you know, they do their their stuff where they hype up the crowd between innings. Nobody was clapping. No, like because everyone was just like so somber. <laughs> Oh, wow. God. Stroman. No, no. Absolutely. What are we going to do? I mean, that was the question. What are we going to do? H how do we take the very the, the, the best single piece on the pitching side we thought we had and it just evaporated right in front of everybody? I, that. Yeah. For all of us, I think that was that was the gut punch moment. Now, I think that that the tweet, the return shall be legendary whenever he tweeted that, which was not. I think day. it was like a day later. Yeah, it was right. It was close after, but not the day he actually did the injury. Um, I looked at that and I thought, "You're probably right. <laughs> you're you're going to eat that up with however you come back, whenever you come back." Now, I kind of imagined it as a reliever in the playoffs if he was if he was serious about that. Do the you know David Price is a rookie thing, um, 
but what he did come back and do was awesome. What what people I think tend to forget about the bat flip game is who pitched the first six innings of it. All of the pitching is sort of forgotten about that game. If he, do you know? Do you remember who was on the mound when the weird stuff happened? Aaron Sanchez. Sanchez. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I thought Sanchez wouldn't have had the presence of mind in a million years to go get the ball, even if. Odor hadn't broken for home plate. I just look at Aaron Sanchez and I think, I do not think slick fielding pitcher. <laughs> I'm sorry, Aaron. <laughs> I don't mean it personally. Wow. I just remember looking at his face shots. on all those replays. Going, he's just wondering what to do. Well, like everybody else. <sighs> so those are our dark, sad memories. Moving on. <laughs> to <laughs> spring training 2016. When uh, we don't really have anything catastrophic to report so far, and the Jays are winning baseball games. Um, yeah, eight and one. Woo! Do you remember twenty? Was it twenty thirteen? That it was just a wonderful spring training. It, was but it 20- wasn't. I mean, they they started off really slow, and people were like, "Oh, what's going on? What's going on?" I could swear there there was a, a... Eventually, they got fired, and they ended up leading the league in spring training wins. But at the beginning, people were like, oh, no, all these new players aren't meshing. We've lost three out of five spring training games. <laughs> yeah, I think they lost, like, three or, or, or four. And then they went on this huge run and finished spring training on a big winning streak. And then, and then Jose Reyes hurt his leg, and the downward spiral began. So I... <laughs> Ever since then, spring I used to think spring training was maybe just, you know, fun to watch them win. Now it's like, eh, whatever. I would I would much rather see individual performances. As in, you know, how many times are they getting on the field? Long yeah, silence. Something nicely. <laughs> <laughs> um anything else going on down in Dunedin that you've noticed, Josh? I just sure. a couple of notes on players that I've been watching. Sure. Uh, I've been sort of trying to see what these new swings look like, specifically with Pilar and Tulawiski. And Pilar's looks way better. He just looks so much more balanced when he swings as opposed to sort of being like way out in front and throwing his hands at the ball like he was doing for most of last season. Tulawiski's swing actually looks kind of the same, but he just has that leg kick, but the timing is there. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into that yet, but at least it's not he's not struggling with it. He's just, he basically, he's, He's changed more of the timing mechanism than he has the actual uh, the mechanics of, of his upper body and lower body working together during the swing is what you're... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. On the negative side, the negative side of things, uh, Storin is rounding into form rather slowly. He's throwing 91, 92. I mean, I, I have never seen his spring trainings before. This might just be what he does, but he doesn't look quite that sharp yet. And Steve Delbar is bad. <laughs> <laughs> He has options, doesn't he? No, he's out. Really? Mm. Yeah. Every now and then he'll throw like that nasty splitter and so oh, yeah, right. And then he'll throw a ninety three mile an hour fastball down the pipe and Miguel Sano will hit it four hundred and fifty feet, which is what actually happened. And you're like, Oh yeah, right. That's the bad part. <laughs> <laughs> um, Josh, did you uh did you see uh Hutch throw? I did not. And did you get to see our friend David Ardsma? He's not really our friend, but, you know, he was very friendly. <laughs> nah, he threw on the road. I oh, see. Sad. I see. I got to talk to him, though, briefly. Went to see him and say, you know, thank you for joining the podcast. He was happy to do it. Good to know. Good to know. And that's going to let me do one of my wonderful segues. How about that? 
we have uh, someone else who joined the podcast and was happy to do so. RJ Anderson of Baseball Prospectus came to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays and what their season might be like. And we're going to be right back with him just after this. You nailed that. Sweet. We are joined tonight by R.J. Anderson of Baseball Prospectus. R.J., welcome to Artificial Turf Wars. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're pleased to have you on, and we we brought you here today to continue our tour of the AL East preview, uh, and we consider you something of an authority and or fan of the Tampa Bay Rays. So we're wondering, uh, we'll get right into it. What would you say is the biggest addition and then maybe the biggest loss uh, for the Rays over the last offseason as the team has, has changed? Well, I don't think they had a typical offseason in a way that you can say, okay, they had a big gain. I don't think you can point to one single move. I do think they had two or three trades that you can kind of clutch together on the potential impact scale. I would say, you know, trading for Hank Conger, and that gives them a left-handed hitting, I know he's a switch hitter, but his platoon numbers are bad against lefties. So it gives him a, essentially a left-handed hitting catcher who can receive. I know he has issues throwing, but their staff is generally slow to the plate anyway. So unless we're talking about an elite or near elite thrower and, you know, obviously pop times and all that, uh, they're not going to have great success throwing out the itch stealers anyway. I would also lump the Brad Miller trade in there. They didn't really have a good option at shortstop entering the offseason with a Shrubal Cabrera qualifying for free agency. So Miller gives them another left-handed bat, uh, one who, like with Conger, you might have to platoon him, but he's your most days starter, and he's definitely an upgrade over Nick Franklin and Tim Beckham, who, you know, again, entered the winner as their top choices at shortstop. And last trade, I would say the Corey Dickerson trade, that he gives them a thumper, a left-handed thumper. They haven't had uh, a good left-handed source of power since, geez. I mean, Carlos Pena, Matt Joyce, back when they were hitting for power. So I think you look at those three moves in combination, and I think you can pick you know, any of the three if you want to say it was the most impactful addition. But I don't think there's necessarily a clear winner there for me. As for the biggest loss, I think that's definitely trading Jake McGee as part of the Dickerson trade. Uh, the bullpen as it is currently constructed is, you know, basically hopes and dreams. You know, they hope that Danny Farquhar can bounce back and the Brad Boxberger which is more like the first half and the second half and they can dream on Danny Romero who made some mechanical adjustments during the season they can dream on him becoming like a McGee like um, he was out of control and they can dream on Alex Colomay becoming you know the four pitch death dealing reliever that he looked like at times late last season but, you know, the bullpen, it's going to be a weakness for them unless all those things come to fruition because they don't have a kind of impact waiting reliever that McGee was. And they also traded Kevin Jepson last deadline. So they, they're really running low on proven latest options in general. And their biggest offseason addition beyond the Frog Squad deal was Ryan Webb. So, you know, it's a bullpen that's going to have to prove itself time and again. And even after they've done that a few times, we're still going to have questions about, you know, are these guys really going to hold up for 162 games? And, you know, it's not like they have a great deal of relief 
prospects on the way. They have some interesting ones, you know, Jamie Schultz, uh, Dr. Markell, uh, Dylan Floro, you know, some guys who potentially could step in and be useful relievers. And I guess I should throw Andrew Bellotti in there as well. He saw some big league time last season. But I don't think they have the kind of late inning presence that you would expect from a team that leaned on the bullpen so much last season. So I would definitely identify the e trade as the big spot. Well, specifically with that trade, it was kind of interesting. Obviously, on a value perspective, getting Dickerson for a relief pitcher was very, very good. But as you mentioned, yeah. the bullpen is now very thin, and the outfield is quite the opposite. They have at least five or six guys that you could say are regular outfielders, especially, I mean, if you go Souza, Dickerson, Jennings, and Kiermaier, that's four guys that kind of have to start, plus the younger guys like Matuk. How are they going to handle that? I think you're going to see Desmond Jennings traded for opening day. And that's self provided. He's uh, had some knee issues and he was laying that on trafficking at the turf. So the way the roster is constructed, they can't really carry Jennings as a DH. Uh, that would limit their flexibility too much. And I think if you look at Brandon Geyer and you mentioned Mikey Lassuck, I think those are going to be your, in some combination there, your reserve outfielder. I don't think Lassuck is necessarily guaranteed to open the season on the bench because for as good as it was last season, you know, Geyer played well as well, and while they didn't they prefer either for Grady sided more last season, which is uh, an obvious sign, I think you're going to see them stick with Geyer because the option books still have one last, and it makes more sense based on the race history to keep both pieces intact than to trade Geyer and Jennings and roll the took. So I think you're going to see an outfield as Dickerson left, Kiermaier in center, through the junior Provided come opening day with Geyer on the bench. So, all right. One of the other you know parts of this offense that that we're kind of wondering about is Evan Longoria, who has looked to be frankly fading over the past few years. Um, what role does he have on this team? Is he still the number three, four sort of hitter, or is there what are, what are they planning to do with him? Do you think? I'm inclined to believe he's still going to be the third or fourth hitter in the lineup. Uh, you know, he's been dealing with some wrist issues in the past few seasons. And while you're right that he's looked a little older, you would like to see, given his contract situation, I think he's still an above-average third baseman, uh, defensively and offensively. So he might not be a star or a superstar level necessarily, but it's hard to see them. You know, there's really no alternative to him in the continue to give him, you know, the third or fourth spot in the lineup until he absolutely cannot do it anymore. And, you know, we talk a lot about his declining production. At the same time, he's really upped his durability. You know, it wasn't too many years ago. Those Eric Chavez comparisons were getting a little concerning because he missed a lot of time with injuries. And it looked like he wasn't going to be able to stay on the field for 140, 150 games. But you check his game played call in the last few seasons, and he's just turned it up. You know, he's played basically every game. I think he had his consecutive start streak snapped, uh, I want to say last summer, because of the youth sick or whatever. But, you know, he's really become a durable player. So while the production has slipped a little bit, you know, if you figure in, if you do the calculus and you figure in what it, it would take, uh, what they would get from replacement players at third base compared to Mongoria now, you know, it might not be as big of a drop-off as it seems, but obviously they would like to see him uh, return to his old offensive form, just with his new durability intact. 
Hmm. Well, we'll certainly be watching for that this year to see if he can bounce back to become the star that basically everybody thinks he is. Right. Uh, but, you know, I imagine the people listening to this right now are like, you're talking about the Rays and you started with the bullpen in the outfield. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is a team that's known for its starting pitching. And right. it looks like it's going to be really good again, too, with Archer and Smiley up top. And then I guess you got Moore and Cobb coming back and Reese. But it also seems like there might be some injury risk there, too, right? Absolutely. That's one of the – that might be the biggest question, actually, heading into the season is, you know, can Drew Smiley actually make 30-plus starts? Can Alex Cobb come back for you know, August or September, as has been rumored? You know, Archer, he's basically your lockout right now. You know, he's the guy you're absolutely expecting 32 starts from 200-plus innings and so on and so forth. You know, can Jake Odorizzi continue his evolution? Because, you know, it seems like every season – this was a guy who was like a four-pitch – you know, four average pitch guy when they first got him, he's since kind of rebuilt himself where he added that split change to Alex Cobb's on him, and that became an out pitch for him. Last season, he added a cutter. He has a slow curveball in his arsenal, so he's kind of become at least a number three starter for them. Maybe he takes another step forward. You know, it's, it's hard to tell. And you have Matt Moore making his first full season appearance since Tommy John surgery. He looked better late last season, but you know, you can't be certain because even before the injury, his command was a little shaky. So we'll see how that goes. And, you know, you talked about, you know, we didn't even mention Erasmo Ramirez, who was a very pleasant surprise for them last season. I'm not sure that's 100% sustainable on his end. However, they do have some depth coming as well. You know, Blake Snell, uh, Jake Ferrari, or Friari, however you pronounce that, and so on and so forth. So they have some guys who... You know, they could be up during the season. It's not necessarily going to be Matt Andrews or, you know, Chase Whitley if and when he comes back. So they do have some options. And as a whole, you would like to think the bullpen's going to be a strength. But, you know, if they do get struck by three, four injuries or two or three injuries like they did last spring, yeah, things might get a little dicey. So I would, I'm leaning towards calling that a strength, but it comes with that asterisk that, yes, uh, things could get tricky if they, sustain two or three injuries like they did last spring again this spring so you you mentioned chris archer first as a a big factor on the field Um, a lot was made in toronto this last season about the off the field part of a baseball team and and of course that endless argument of of okay the guys all getting along and the guys all motivating one another is a big deal but how much of a big deal is it and it seems like since um sort of the, the, the rosters turned over there. There's been a lot of attention uh, and some comments on Twitter between um, Chris Archer and Price and that about specifically about being a leader and about guiding the team. It, it seems like a big burden to put on Archer, but it's the only name I see coming up over and over again about being the clubhouse leader, the guy who's going to guide this team to to that next level. Um, do you see him being, you know, embracing that role? And, and where do you see that going? Well, I think he's tried embracing the role already. Uh, earlier in the spring, the way it was presented to the public was that he scolded two younger pitchers for not showing up earlier than the veterans. So, you know, you already have that proceeded. You know, Archer came up under David Price, and Price came up under James Shields, and, you know, Shields was you – know, he basically created the culture and the idea that you need a staff leader, and Shields was that guy. Price took that over after Shields was traded – now Archer's trying to do his part. I think it's the case for Alex Cobb, who is probably the closest thing the Shields the Rays have had since, and he might be the closest thing the Shields they have going forward. 
But the problem with Cobb is, of course, he's not going to be around the team while he's rehabbing, and that really complicates things. So I do think Archer is, I just want to say, the most qualified and the most likely to take that leader mantle. Whether he's effective or not, you know, I couldn't. He's a pretty intelligent individual. You know, he's great in terms of giving back to the community, giving back to – he goes – he's guy who goes on his days off. And this is during the season. He'll go to, you know, a GP detention center or whatever in a visiting city and talk to the kids there. So this is a very high-makeup guy, a very driven guy. You know, he went from basically a throw-in in the Mark DeRosa trade years and years ago to a guy who signed a long-term extension and who – got some play nationally because of his announcing last playoffs. So, you know, he's a very bright guy. He's very motivated. That's basically what you want in a leader. So, you know, I think he'll be fine in that role. I really don't know how to judge that. But I think he has all the ingredients to do just fine, yeah. Uh, you don't no. often get a Mark DeRosa shout-out. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we get them here in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. He actually was awesome here, so it's he hard was. to even make jokes about that. <laughs> he was the uh, most most effective veteran presence guy in the clubhouse we ever had. And not yeah, from the clubhouse, actually, actually on the field. Yeah, he actually hit. He hit cleanup a few times, which was hilarious. <laughs> but uh, so we've sort of gone over this. We you know the team's strengths, weaknesses, which are a little different than in years past, as you've sort of gone over. And yet... Dakota and John Morosi of Fox Sports are predicting the Rays to come first, and by a decent mm-hmm. margin. Are you sort of on that bandwagon? No. <laughs> no, honestly, I'm, I'm not. You know, I don't necessarily understand the reasoning there, because as we talked about earlier, you know, there are some big, big question marks about this roster that, you know, frankly, no one outside the organization or even inside the organization is qualified to play. You know, who knows if Cobb's going to come back late in the season, if at all. You know, who knows how Moore's going to handle a full season. Who knows if Bruce Smiley can get through April and May without his shoulder barking. So there are so many questions about this roster. And while I think it's a decent roster, you know, I don't think it has that that gear that you can point at and say, yeah, they're absolutely the best team in the division in this season. You know, I'm more inclined, and I realize that Pakoda said has them uh, finishing first as well, but, you know, Pakoda and I disagreed on Steven Souza before he was even traded as a Rays. So, you know, I take that into mind. And I say, well, you know, maybe, you know, the Rays are a sabermetrically inclined team. They have guys in that front office who know Pakoda. They probably use some of the same tricks in their own forecasting models. So I'm under the belief that, you know, maybe they overrate the same player that the code overrates, you know, stuff like that. So for me, you know, I see them, I just don't see them as the division favorite. I think they could win the division, but entering the year, you know, I have them down in the standings, and I think it's just as likely they finish last as them winning the division. So but before I get more specific on that, I'll, I'll back up, because we kind of asked, as we tour the AL East here, we kind of asked the same question uh, at the end of uh, you know of the segment to to all of our authorities on each team, and that is, who is the team to beat in this division if it's not your team? Which you don't seem to think it's your team. <laughs> so, right. what, what team are you know? Do you do you think is the team to beat? You know, I guess if I had to pick, I would say Boston or Toronto. You know, obviously Boston getting David Price, getting Rick Kimbrell. They really had a nice offseason from a star-studded perspective. 
And the thing is, I've been burned on them so many times before. You know, the roster always looks so good in March and even early April. And then, you know, it's June and July, and you're looking at it like, what happened here? Why did I pick them to win this division? Uh, you know, with Toronto, I mean, that lineup, I mean, good grief. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be a heck of a lineup. But the road, I'm looking at the road state, like, you know, believe a little bit in the you know, they don't have you're, that. Sorry, you're broken up there. Can you start over oh. with you believe in? I'll I'll cut it out. Oh, wait, which part for Toronto? Yeah, for Toronto. Yeah. Which guys do you believe in in the rotation? Because they all got garbled. Oh. Okay. If you kind of believe in Estrada and you kind of believe in half, you know, okay, maybe they have a couple number threes there, but they don't have that, you know, that knockout ace that uh frontline style that you like to see on these teams that are in the season. So it's kind of not quite the inverse of Boston, star power-wise, at least in the rotation, but, you know, it's enough to make you wonder, is this rotation going to really be able to pitch to Boston and pitch to New York and pitch to Tampa Bay and Baltimore? Because, you know, Baltimore is loading up all these home run hitters, too. You know, is it going to be enough to hang in there? And then you look at the bullpen, and, you know, some of the same questions are being asked. Uh, obviously, Asuna is good. But what about Storen? Is he going to be able to do it, close it for a whole season and so on and so forth? So I guess I would flip a coin between Boston and Toronto as a team to beat. I don't really have a preference of this two. I can see the pros and cons of both, but I think it's one of those two at this point in spring. So we're just going to pretend that you said nothing about Boston and you picked the Jays because we're not biased at all. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, don't let Marcus Stroman listen to this podcast because you, you didn't mention <laughs> him. And his hater he, fuel. Would, he would take that personally. <laughs> you didn't mention him in the rotation. <laughs> um, so uh, we were going to ask you also, you, you said you were... You're really up in the air about Tampa, which is funny because yeah. we had Matt Corey on and we asked him about Boston and he gave us like a 25 win range as to what they might do. So, oh, so how many wins do you think Tampa Bay might come up with when all is said and done? I'll say three. I think that kind of is in the middle of the range. You know, maybe 80, they 83? Win. Yeah, I'll say 83. 83 is you know, I think they could. 83 would be, well, y'all would be very good, yeah. Because that means uh, Toronto's all but guaranteed to finish ahead of them. But, yes. you know, it's going to be a tight division. I think it's going to be a tight division race. And, you know, I just don't I just don't have the answers to those questions. And I always lean on the conservative side when it comes to injuries. So I can't I can't pick them to win a division or win 90-plus games just yet. All right. Well, if, if everyone's predictions, uh, if one team runs away with it, we're all going to have a bunch of stupid-looking people on our preseason show. But, oh, gosh. Um, so we're probably in the same boat because none of us have predicted more than 90 wins for anybody either uh, we'd like to thank you for dropping by where can people find you on the Twitter that would be R underscore J underscore Anderson with an O and your work is uh, out there at Baseball Prospectus yeah you can find basically everything I write at Prospectus Sounds excellent. Thank you for dropping by, and um, best of luck to the Tampa Bay Rays up to the point where they are about to pass the Jays, and then not so much. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks again. Have a good one. Thanks for having me. Thank you, R.J. Anderson. 
we do appreciate you coming on and talking about Tampa Bay, a team that, I don't know, does that team have any real fans? <laughs> RJ Anderson. <laughs> that one. He can't buy 30,000 tickets a night, though, unfortunately. It's just um, him and Jason Collette, and just they have a lot of freebies. Uh, he seemed uh, he seemed confident up to the point where we asked him if he was confident, and then not so much at all. <laughs> that's, that's about right. <laughs> all right, we got listener questions coming at us left and right. We do appreciate when all of you bring, send these in. So the first one is from Mike at GoSendsGo101, um, a friend of ours on Twitter. Is Josh's voice or his mic in the best shape of his life or the worst? So my verdict from this end is you no longer sound like you've joined Anonymous and are attempting to conceal your identity from the people on the podcast. I will but, be doing the rest of the podcast like this, <laughs> just so it sounds like episode one. So for all of you confused, Josh did have a cold. Um, we didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. And then we listened back to the audio and got several comments about it. So, uh, yeah. It sounded Josh- like I was channeling Darth Vader. <laughs> couple decongestants later boom josh back in the best shape of his life i think is the answer to that uh okay for chris we got bird's eye view saying what's it like to win games in the grapefruit league (laughs) (laughs) well i think it's fun i mean i I know it doesn't matter no nobody it it doesn't it nobody seems to care about win loss records uh you know as soon as the season starts but i don't know i find it fun when my favorite team wins, no matter what time of year it is. I think bird's eye view, uh, is, is especially <laughs> burnt by that because they don't know. <laughs> Baltimore's Oh, and nine. Oh, and nine. Yeah. Hey, there's two ties in there guys because baseball <laughs> ties are a real thing. You didn't feel like reading the, reading the hashtag hashtag winless in Sarasota. <laughs> We're sorry guys. We're sure you're going to win a couple games in the regular season. No problem. Uh, <laughs> uh what do we got next somebody want to ask i got one here for you okay so this is from brendan coon at b this is bk at brendan coon predictions for average attendance at the rogers center for 2016 i think we're looking in the 38 to forty thousand range um because you're gonna have a lot of sold out weekends i think um, people have talked about ever since the season tickets went on sale, they've talked about how hard it is to get tickets. So you're going to have those packed weekends, packed giveaways, middle of the week games. I'm sure you'll still be able to get tickets too, unless this team really takes off. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking 38 to 40, maybe a little higher. Yeah. I, I got to go in the 40 range, which is insane. Yeah, I think so too, especially with the way Steven Brooks, who's the VP of business has been talking. It's like season tickets and flex packs are way up. And then, Obviously, there are going to be a ton of people wanting single-game tickets just because of how good the team was. So I think 40000 is might be even a floor. Yeah, it's hard to say what those midweek games are going to do. Because in Toronto, right, it depends on just how hot people think the ticket is before they go to a game in the middle of the week. Whereas I know the yeah, weekend games are But I'm just basing this off the people who have already pre-bought tickets, just mm. you know, the number of subscriptions, essentially. So there's the, that's why I think the floor is, is around... 40,000 just because there's so many people who have to pay for their tickets who have to go. Now our ceiling is 47.5 in in the dome as currently configured. They haven't added seats in the off season, have they? No, but it's sort of it, it, it basically the the max is 48 with the uh, press boxes or with luxury boxes and all that. 
but yet 47.2 is sold out some days. It's the weirdest. Well, it's because sold out just depends on what's what's happening with the luxury boxes, right? Mm. Still sounds weird. It, yeah, I know. It, a, a variable sellout number. <laughs> <laughs> We're mostly totally sold out. Uh, we have another question uh, at Bish underscore Ryan. Ryan Bishop. What chips do the Jays have left to use at the deadline? What chips will they be willing to move? Uh, we'll we'll throw this over to Chris if he has an idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have some idea. I mean, obviously, it depends on what they're looking for, but I believe what, you got to think Green and Alfred are probably like the two top like blue chips that they have left. But are they willing to deal those two chips? I doubt it very much. Yeah, I'm with Chris on that. Uh, if they're going to be dealing from their prospect depth, you have to imagine it'll be guys like Rowdy Tellez or Richard Urania, you know, those second tier kind of guys, because based on everything we know about Shapiro, it's, he was not happy with how empty the cupboard was when he showed up. Um, it's like a new government. There's a lot <laughs> less in here than we thought. That's, that's what happens every time somebody gets elected. Um uh next question we'll target you josh from dino at caruso comics uh if some of the more high profile non-roster invitees don't make the team do they go to the minors or try their luck elsewhere i'm assuming this question is sort of referring to guys like david ardsma rafael soriano dom brown i think those are the three high profile ones uh of those three i expect that one of ardsma or soriano will make the team and I think the other one will probably opt out. No Brad Brown Penny on your list? Case. Sorry, what? No Brad Penny on your list? <laughs> a real high profile. Him <laughs> and Fausto Carmona. Uh, yeah, but Brown is the interesting one because he was released, right? So I don't know if there's really a job that he sees out there for him. I think he might be willing to stick it out even if he doesn't win the fourth outfielder position. Interesting. Um, okay, for Chris from Skeeter at Spezbaby. Sometimes I wonder on the exact origin of people's Twitter names, and sometimes I don't. Um, after what <laughs> we've seen so far this spring, has anyone's opinion changed about who will be the fourth outfielder? So we did just mention Dom Brown. To review, we also have Ezekiel Carrera. And we just went over this when we were discussing this question. And do you think I can remember uh, everybody's Darryl name? Siciliani and Junior Lake. I get Siciliani and Biagini mixed up, and they're a pitcher and an outfielder. That's how much I, I, I'm deeply moved by this roster. Any idea, Chris, as to who is in the lead <laughs> at the moment? I, well, I would assume Carrera, but I, I got to say, like, if, if I had my choice, who I'd like to see, I'd like to see Dominic Brown. Um, and that that's just more of a personal thing with me, you know, because I still have this, like, pathetic false hope that he could be something. <laughs> it was he a few years ago, I remember... Uh, when, when the Jays were looking for a fourth outfielder who could just, you know, basically be a body, uh, I wanted them to trade for Dom Brown, and I'm not talking about that ridiculous Jose Bautista deal. Uh, but, you know, with this team, with with the guys who discuss hitting and, you know, Tewksbury, you know, kind of floating around, um, I just, I have, like, faith that all these, you know, once high-ceiling prospects could be turned around and i think as just a fan i'd love to see that happen with donald brown i think i i definitely agree with that um i think if brown 
essentially says, like, if I don't make this team, I'm opting out. I think it has to be him just because of what he can provide. But if he doesn't, I think it's probably going to be a guy like Siciliani or even Lake just because they can play center field. Which Gibbons has mentioned not having a backup center fielder was awkward at times for them last year. I guess technically you have Michael Saunders. Yeah. Oh, by the way, so at the game I was at against the Twins, Siciliani had a monster grand slam against Tyler Duffy. That guy must have nightmares about the Blue Jays. <laughs> <laughs> he made his Major League debut, debut against him last year and didn't last two innings, giving up home runs to Bautista and Donaldson. <laughs> and then in his, you know, he makes the spring start against them and gives up five runs in the first. Did he not get spotted like six runs in that game that he made his Major League debut? Like, I don't I'm pretty sure he had a six-run lead and the Jays came back and just mashed nine runs by the end of the second inning. And it was like... What happened, man? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, he's the one who spells Duffy with an E, isn't he? Yeah, D-U-F-F-E-Y. That's strange. I don't know why I remembered that. Do you have a final question on the list, Josh? We finish yeah, up you something? can answer this one. Okay. So this is from Will, who has sent in a few questions at WB222. What is the worst thing that could happen to the Jays this season? Uh, my answer, 2013. So the worst thing that happened could happen to the Jays this season is that they go into a time machine. Exactly. Because it was never a fun time. But Chris might have a more insightful answer than 2013. <laughs> well, I think obviously just, you know, everybody gets hurt and, you know, they win 60 games. <laughs> Pretty much the worst thing that could happen. And <laughs> Josh? But just, okay. If there's, I'm going to put this question to you guys. If one player goes down. Who, which one would be the worst for this team? Donaldson. Ooh, I gotta. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I was gonna say, I was gonna say Martin, but I think, uh, I think I gotta agree with Donaldson. I, I don't value. think it's him. As good as he is, because this lineup is awesome, even with with or without Donaldson and Matt Dominguez, who is, would be his replacement, is as good defensively as he is. So you're going to pick so, a pitcher. Yeah, I, I think it's Stroman. We already right. lost. We on, did on the, that last On the dark year. anniversary. We <laughs> again. We've, We've already relived this, Josh. Don't, don't rehash this again. I just, I just think it's like he's our one guy who has the potential to provide that top of the rotation stuff. Well, him and Sanchez, but Stroman is more likely. And, you know, if they lose that, it's just a bunch of number three starters, essentially. Yeah, you're probably... As right I can, as yeah, yeah, I can see that. I, I can't argue the point. Maybe because I'm I'm old and tired, and I don't want to lose anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but my number two would have actually been Martin. All right. Well, yeah. The the backup catching situation, even with Sanchez, is not a backup catching situation. <laughs> Moving right along, we're going to move to our do over. This this may be the most multi dimensional do over that we've ever approached. So I'm going to try and approach it from a safe distance. And I'm just going to read some quotes from Goose Gossage, who after this was a, sort of right after Bryce Harper said, I like pimping home runs and it's okay when a pitcher sh strikes me out and shows off in reference to Jose Fernandez specifically. And Goose Gossage came out with Bautista is an effing disgrace to the game. He's embarrassing to all the Latin players who ever played before him throwing his bat and acting like a fool like all those guys in Toronto. Cespedes, same thing. 
And then when someone realized that they, they had hit a soft spot, I think they just let him go. So um, he went on to say uh, the running game, it's a joke. The game is becoming a freaking joke because of the nerds who are running it. I'll tell you what's happened. These guys played rotisserie baseball at Harvard or wherever the F they went, and they thought they figured the effing game out. They don't know. Expletive deleted. A bunch of effing nerds running the game. You can't slide into second base. You can't take out the effing catcher because Buster Posey was in the wrong position, and they're going to change all the rules. You can't pitch inside anymore. I'd like to knock some of these effers on their ass and see how they would do against pitchers in the old days. Ryan Braun is an effing steroid user. He gets a standing ovation on opening day in Milwaukee. How do you explain that to your kid after throwing people under the bus and lying through his effing teeth they don't have anyone passing the effing torch to these people if i had acted like that you don't go into that effing dugout there are going to be 20 effing guys waiting for you shall i continue because he actually goes on <laughs> trying to try to challenge brian price's right rant for most f-bombs in an interview <laughs> Uh, yeah, he talks about uh, they've been created from the top, from their computers. They are protecting these kids. The first thing a pitcher does when he comes off the mound is ask, how many pitches do I have? If I had asked that effing question, they would have said, son, get your ass out there on that mound. If you get tired, we'll come and get you. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> well, I am basically <laughs> Please done. Please stop. <laughs> that, that last one, I mean, we'll get to the Bautista stuff in a sec. <sighs> that's one of my favorite ones. I guarantee you no single pitcher has ever done that. Well, asked how many Come pitches they have. Coach, how many pitches do I have left? <laughs> Seven. Make him count. Um, he actually doubled down too. He, he of went on Tim and Sid. Who's Gossage? Yeah, exactly. Can, yeah, like, can we go? Know, Bill of, Burr, of all the shows for him to go on, it's like Tim and Sid was kind of the perfect one. I just, just want to go Bill Burr here for a second and be like, if there's anybody that you know we expect this to come from, is it not him? It's definitely him. <laughs> but, then, but then he's like he's talking about how it's affecting people on the Little League World Series like now you see these kids in the Little League World Series act like little turds <laughs> would you let your kids act like that? hell no you wouldn't you'd kick your kids in the ass is, if they acted like that and, my and he says look at the debates on TV what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> Chris? My, like my favorite part of the whole thing was how how do I explain to my kid well how do I explain to my kid <laughs> your rant <laughs> filled with F-bombs and racism and like, come on, man. Oh, and he also said this about pies in the face, the shaving cream pies. Mm. If I see another pie in somebody's face, I'm going to break my own TV. Act like a professional. That, well, it's always professional when I break my own TV. I feel professional when I do that. <laughs> So, I, I feel really happy for whoever is working on commission at the local <laughs> electronics store. <laughs> I'm going to go right back to the top. Bautista is an effing disgrace to the game. He's embarrassing to all Latin players who ever played before him. Stop. Okay. You cannot have all of this stuff all these different ways. So if the old Latin players played like Latino players apparently play differently which is with actual human emotions then those guys would not be embarrassed by bautista because they played with emotion so you can't reference old latin players while you're complaining about bautista if those old latin players played without emotion and bautista is playing with emotion then he's acknowledging that that's the way latin players should have always played the game 
and the guys who played in the past were were honoring something that wasn't even a tradition and not being themselves. So either way, you're wrong. I don't care. What? Yeah. It's just so ignorant at the level of, of like you said, racism in there and, and a whole bunch of other things. And then lastly, when he went into Ryan Braun, this man was, do you know where he was asked these questions? No. Yankee camp. <laughs> he oh, man, works that's amazing. with the Yankees. Well, I actually think this question came. He was, yeah, that's right. He was talked about, asked about Chapman. Yes. So I, I like that somehow Alex Rodriguez avoided all of his ire, despite the fact that he's the most punished steroid cheat in baseball history. But he goes off on Ryan Braun instead. Uh, um, Henry Mejia. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he lost <laughs> his crown. I bet. I wonder if Arod was a little sad that he wasn't the, the worst steroid cheat in baseball history anymore. I wanted to be the greatest of all time, and now I'm second in something. <sighs> the do-over. Goose. <laughs> Go for gossage. it, Greg. <laughs> Um, we would like you to simply go back in your house and just let the kids play on the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> and if ever you are tempted to express your opinion, go out the back door, yell at a cloud, and then go have a nap. And if you do all of that, we will never talk about this ridiculous tirade again. Quality There's a whole bunch of stupid references in there. All right. Old Man Gossage. Thank you for providing us with so much content and everybody else with content today. That's what it was all about, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. He's secretly being paid off by some kind of cabal of journalists. <laughs> Goose, we got nothing. Help us out. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do the housekeeping now because apparently last week I forgot a couple little things. So <laughs> you... <laughs> the first thing um is that josh has a twitter too um it is at joshua Housem, and chris has a twitter at cw sherwin and just to make it all even i'm not going to mention my twitter handle um but we do have he's at coolhead 2010 no, a now we're not even i we have a podcast twitter <laughs> as well at turf pod uh what are we doing with that <laughs> Well, we just launched it, so we'll start tweeting out, you know, when the podcasts are coming, asking for questions, so, basically just anything related to the podcast. If you want to find any news about it, that's where you should go. At Turf Pod. Now, we, if you if you follow us on iTunes, is this right? You're gonna, pardon me, you're gonna have to resubscribe. No, anybody no. but the iTunes subscribers. Okay, anybody who. Follows us any other way through another feed that isn't iTunes, you're going to have to resubscribe. Now, unfortunately, this podcast is not going to show up if you had not subscribed, so you will not be listening to this, except <laughs> if you're on iTunes. So I you have just delivered. What? This reminds me of last time when Chris in his do-over was saying, Anthony Ghost, you should come on our podcast and keep your mouth shut. Nobody <laughs> <laughs> <he> was there. <laughs> Um, 
So I have just delivered a very important message to no one who can hear it. But, you know, <laughs> we'll figure that out later. <laughs> There'll be some sort of method. All right, now that I got all the housekeeping done, I'm going to ask if either of you gentlemen have a final thought. Chris, first, as always. I actually have a final thought. No. I know this is stunning to everybody. I have a final thought. Everybody, what? mark this down in your calendars. <laughs> this is no longer the dark anniversary. Best color man in the business has a final thought. And it's a shocking one. To anybody who knows me personally, they will have heard rant after rant after rant about Kevin Pillar. Okay? And how he is loved in Toronto and the greatest center fielder in the game and yada, 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 yada. I, Chris Sherwin, am actually feeling pretty good about Kevin Pillar because of the mechanical tweaks that he has been working with. Uh, you know, what Josh commented on earlier, I actually have faith in Kevin Pillar being a starting outfielder in professional baseball. These are words that I can't believe I'm saying. We may actually have to mark this day on the calendar somewhere. I, I think we do. <laughs> All right. Josh, do you have a final thought? I do, just because we can't do a podcast without mentioning Pat Venditti. <laughs> <laughs> do you happen to have six fingers on your glove? Uh, I actually spoke to him oh. down in spring training. And I just I asked how it started. And he said that his dad made him start doing it when he was three years old. And it's like, we all joke. It's like, if I have my, if I have a kid, I'm going to tie his right arm behind his back and make a left hand. <laughs> That's pretty much what happened. <laughs> That's amazing and sad. <laughs> I mean, it's not like his dad, like, you have to do this. Don't you dare throw that with your right arm. But the way, the way he told it, it's just that he was, t was like, you should try doing this. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and it continues to be pretty cool and a wonderful novelty. And now we have pictures of a six-fingered glove all over Twitter. Yeah. All right, so on that note, this has been Artificial Turf Wars Episode 2. I have been Greg Wisniewski. You have been Joshua Housem and Chris Sherwin. And our guest was R.J. Anderson of Baseball Prospectus. And we will see you next week. You're both assholes. Just <laughs> I was just about to make a comment about no name calling, but apparently not so much.